Today we continue this series called Kingdom Culture, and uh, again, this is something that was born uh, out of the, the pastor's meeting and praying over some things, and, and we thought that not only do we need to understand why we exist, but how do we exist? Practically, how does it play out? What is the litmus test we will use when planning our worship gatherings, planning our overall programming and events? And when doing and supporting ministries and missions. Now let me say this. Doctrinal statements, as I said last week, are good. They keep us grounded in good theology. We need that, especially in the climate in which we live today. There's also mission statements that are good. And our church has always had a mission statement out in front of you. They keep us moving towards something. But then this whole idea of cultural statements or cultural values... They keep us interconnected. It keeps us to understand why we're doing what we're doing and how we're doing what we're doing. All three present us with great accountability. And I think they're necessary as we move forward, as we understand our role as a church in this community and what God has called us to. I think it's important that we wrap our minds around these 11 things we're going to show you over these next several weeks. And so last week, if you were here, hopefully you were, you got in on the cheering a little bit. Uh, but Jesus, we look at this, this is where it has to start. Jesus is our lead story. If we don't promote Jesus around here, we just need to shut the doors. We just need to quit giving. We need to just kind of, uh, I would invite you to go to another church. But if Jesus is not the lead story here, we just shut the doors. So the second thing I want us to look at this morning is the fact that, that Scripture and prayer must be prime. They must be, have a, 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 at the forethought of our mind and as we move forward and how we do exist. So look at this series introduction there on your outline. Because we are a collection of many people from various places, backgrounds, and stories, we believe culture making is essential for unifying our church family around a shared vision as we carry the message of Jesus to the world. We exist, and you've heard this enough, to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. By creating a culture where Jesus is our lead story, Scripture and prayer are prime. And then I want to try to explain that. So look there on your outline. We'll just read this together, or I'll read it to you. That way you just sit back. Just take it in, okay? God gives us His Word to bring about the good news of Jesus. And that good news is not that our sin made us bad people and somehow we might make ourselves better. The gospel cries out that our sin has made us dead. And all that Jesus and, and that Jesus is our only hope of ever being truly made alive. To miss this truth is to miss the purpose of life and the purposes of Christ. Therefore, all we do and say is anchored in the message of the gospel. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to endorse the ideas, philosophies, or opinions of men, but to exchange them for the transforming truth of God's word. When we pray... We are agreeing with the Holy Spirit of our desperate need for His presence. And we are asking for His transforming power to consume and move, up, and move in us personally and also corporately. Ultimately, we believe the purpose of prayer is to align ourselves with His will, His ways, and His word. 
So we gather. So when we gather, our ultimate purpose is not to fulfill or, or to fill empty time or transitions with empty words or phrases and call it prayer, but to invite the Holy Spirit to meet the deepest needs of those gathered for the advancement of his kingdom and the glory of his name. Y'all, I don't think we can say it any better. Scripture is prime. Prayer must be prime. As we go forward, we are building on the gospel truths. The gospel truths, God, the, the truths of God's word. But not only that, we are realizing our need that nothing can happen apart from prayer and the Holy Spirit moving upon us and moving us in the direction God desires us to be as a church. And so this is the reason we think this needs to be put before us. Now, let me say this about Scripture. Do you realize that we live in a society that views Scripture differently than we do? Just like last week, we looked at the contrast between how we see Jesus and the culture sees Jesus. But let me say this, that our culture sees God's Word a lot different than we see God's Word. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Many would call it a book that is outdated and does not speak to today's generation. That's what many say about God's Word. Okay, now we know that's not true. You know why we know that's not true? Because it is transforming us. And we know it if you know Him. Here's a note. It's just a book of good sayings. Some would even say it's just a a book with good moral teaching. And these things are, are true But they're incomplete. They're incomplete. We believe God's word is so much more. We believe God's word, listen, is the inspired words of God. Words in which God reveals himself to us. Words that transform our lives. Words that we can trust to build our lives upon. And I hope that's the way you see God's word. That you can trust it to transform you. That you can trust it to build your lives upon. That you can trust it as it guides you in being a parent, uh, being a grandparent, being the person God's called you to be in the workplace or wherever you find yourself. Y'all, God's word speaks to the issues of our lives. And we can trust it. We can trust it. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at a very familiar passage this morning, but I hope to bring some greater insight to the weight of why Scripture must be prime in our lives. So, so as you turn, I want you to listen to this. This is not on your outline. What is God's Word really all about? Have you ever thought about that? What is the big picture thing that the Bible is all about? I think many of us probably know what that is, but I want you to think of it in this context. First of all, there's one hero in Scripture. Do you know who it is? Jesus, our lead story. He's the hero of the Bible. There's also a villain. Of course, we know who he is. He's Satan. There's one purpose for Scripture, to reveal God. There's one theme, and that theme is redemption, salvation for mankind. So so that, if you were to say, give me the Bible or Scripture in a nutshell... That's what it is. That's what it is. And then all the details are filled in with his word. Now, look on your outline. Scripture provides instruction for salvation. The only way we have any hope for eternity, any hope for living the life that the creator intended us to live, we must cling to Scripture. It is our salvation. Now, in J.I. Packer's classic book, some of you have read the book, studied the book, In his book, Knowing God, he gives five foundational truths concerning the Christian journey. 
I want us to look at the first one and the fifth one. here's, Here's these two as it relates to what we're talking about today. God has spoken to man, and the Bible is that word, given to us to make us wise unto salvation. That is a truth that we must understand on our Christian journey. Number two, godliness means responding to God's revelation in trust and obedience, faith and worship, prayer and praise, submission and service. Life must be seen and lived in the light of God's word. Y'all, I firmly believe what he stated here. It must be seen in light of God's word. So scripture is the source of saving faith. So look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Paul is telling Timothy. We believe this is the last letter that Paul wrote. And he writes it to, to his mentor Reed, to the person that he mentored for years. And, and he's giving his last bit of information. And here's how some of it goes, verse 13. He says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived themselves. And so what he's saying here, he's saying there's going to be a bunch of people that are on the outside of the truths of God's word who are presenting a different gospel, a different way of looking at God, a different way of looking at his words. They are imposters. You need to be aware of that. And you need to be aware that they will deceive many and them themselves will be deceived. So in light of that, look at verse 14. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Those things that have happened up to in your life up to this point, from when you were a child, when your mother and grandmother poured those things into you, when I came along and I, I reiterated some of the things that they were saying, but we went so much more because now we know there's Jesus. And, and, and what I taught you, he's saying, listen, those things that you experienced, you need to be grounded in those things. Grounded in those things, knowing from whom you've learned them. Now, why would he say that? Is that a sign of arrogance? Is Paul saying, you know me, you know how great I am? No, what Paul was saying there is you've seen me experience God's word. You've seen me in the light of truth, and you've seen how God's worked through my life. You can trust what I'm telling you. I've poured the very words of God into your life. He goes on, verse 15 And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so the thing that I want you to come away with here is for us to understand that salvation comes through the Scriptures. It makes us wise. It brings understanding to what salvation is all about. Second of all, Scripture provides instruction that is definitive. Now, when I say the word definitive, I'm using it in this context. It means it's reliable and complete and can be trusted. How many of you would agree that those are words and phrases that could describe God's word? And they do. But it's definitive. And so, number one, look on your outline. We see the inspired text. The inspired text. Look at 2 Timothy verse 16. Many of us know this verse. Some of us have memorized it. It says this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspired, listen, I believe is the greatest characteristic of scripture. It's the greatest characteristic of scripture. Here's why I believe that. Inspired means simply God breathed. God breathed. It also means God spoken. 
If you were to go back to the creation account, go all the way back to Genesis, how did the world come into existence? Through him speaking it and making it so. Listen, he did the same thing when it came to his word. He spoke it and made it so. And that's what we need to get our minds around. It is interesting to note. Now, this is something you must understand. It's interesting to note that the Bible does not say the men were inspired, but what? The Scripture was inspired. That is a big deal when understanding what God's Word is all about. Here's what that means. It means that John and Paul and those who wrote Scripture, it means that them themselves were not inspired, but the words they wrote were inspired. Now, here's how we know that. Don't you think Paul and John wrote other things? If they were inspired, then everything they wrote would have been inspired. The men weren't inspired. The words that were given to them that made up the word that makes up the word of God is inspired. There is a big difference in the two. So the emphasis when it says it is inspired, the emphasis is is upon whom? Not John and Paul or the writers of God's word, but God himself. God himself. Now, the Bible, listen, is not a collection of the wisdom and insights of men, even godly men. Scripture is God's truth. you got to get this. Scripture is God's truth, His own word, in His own words. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, really? I believe that. I believe that. It's just like the song we sang, the third song. Y'all, y'all, those are things I believe in. That's the reason it's fun to sing that song. I love that song. I love it when it comes on the radio. I love it when we're singing around here because it confirms and reaffirms the fact that God is all he says he is. And the only reason I know he is who he says he is is through the words of God. And so I believe this, I believe this with all my heart, that scripture is God's truth, his own words in his own words. That's what it means when it says that Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's God-spoken. Now, here's a second thing. It is definitive because it is the proven text. The proven text. How many of you love it when the Bible um, gets way ahead of where science finally is? Or the Bible says something and it's, it's been told in the past. No, that wasn't true. And all of a sudden, they got to admit, oh, it is true. And the Bible was saying it all along. How many of you, just, that just thrills your heart? I mean, that, do you realize that happens all the time? It happens all the time. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 16 again. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, and this is a very important word. My translation says profitable. Profitable. Now, what does that mean? Profitable means this. It means tested and serviceable. Something that is tested, proven, and serviceable. (laughs) I probably should have picked another word. But anyway, uh, but that's what it means. It's something that's proven, can be experienced, has been experienced, and has proven to be proved. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so, so here we go. I'm getting my own self-confused here. It's historically proven. This is not on your outline, okay? But uh, this is 
this is extra, okay? So it's, histori- it's historically proven. Now think of this, y'all. Not a single piece of evidence has ever surfaced that contradicts the Bible. Archaeology has only given more proof to the accuracy of the Bible. Think of this. History once said, or, or those who wrote about history once said, there was no one named Pilate who had authority in Palestine in the first century. Do you realize that historians wrote that? And that was something that was believed for many, many years. Did you know just 35 years ago, it was proven that there was someone named Pilate who reigned in Palestine in the first century? You know what they found? They found coins. They found evidence that, yes, someone named Pilate lived and ruled in Palestine in the first century. And yet... Those who wrote about history, there's no such proof. There's another reason not to trust the Bible. 35 years ago, they had to admit, guess what? There was someone named Pilate in the first century. And the Bible got it right from the very beginning. Scientifically proven it is. Listen to this. <laughs> Sound like Yoda. Scientifically proven. Okay, but anyway. <laughs> Last week, I'm just going to confess something to you. I, I really felt like, 9.30, I mean, the kind, I mean, I just felt good about the 9.30. 11 o'clock, I don't know what happened to me. I got over the top. I was chasing. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go there. I didn't say Yoda. Let's just move on. Okay, here we go. It's scientifically proven. The world, listen, is a sphere. How many of you know that? How many of you have discovered that? How many of you have seen pictures from the satellites? It's a sphere. It's, it's a circle for those who think like I do. In Isaiah 40, 22, it says that. You, you understand that, right? Something written 2,600 years ago says that. When did we figure that out? In the last 200 years, we finally figured it out. What did the Bible say a long time ago? I'm sorry, the 15th century is actually when they figured it out. Thousands, a thousand years before they did. The Bible figured it out. The Bible knew it, not figured it out. (laughs) Here's another one. The Bible says the earth is suspended in space. Okay? Job 26.7. Guess when that was discovered? Sir Isaac Newton, 1687. How many of you love it when that happens? Some of you are sitting here like, really? You've lost me. Here's what it means. The Bible's true. The Bible's true. It's proven. It's tested. Here's another one. Uh, it's definitive because it's the proven text because it's prophetically proven. The, listen, when you go back to the Old Testament and you say, okay, what's this talking about? We know who it's talking It's talking about Jesus. Everything's talking about Jesus. And so the prophecies that were related to his first coming, guess what? You can bring about 600 of those prophecies and fit it right there in Jesus. He fulfilled every one of them. The only prophecies that have not been fulfilled yet are his second coming. And yes, he is coming back. So we can see prophetically it's proven. But here's a good one. This, is, this one I think is the biggest one. It's uniformly proven. That, that means it's all one thing. Now think of this, y'all. The Bible represents an unfolding single story. How many of you realize that? 
It's an unfolding single story, whether you're talking about the Old Testament or the New. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. It addresses hundreds of difficult issues without any contradiction. Now, some of you say, I don't know about that. I've discovered some contradictions. Well, you need to read some things I read, and you'll see that there's no contradictions there. Okay? Now, here, here it is. And it has, listen, one main character in three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, how in the world can you write something over a 1,500-year period, and you got 40 different people writing to to, to what it's talking about? How do you make it uniform? The only way it can be uniform is there's really one author, and he's writing the book, and that's God himself. It's God-breathed. So we can trust it. Scripture is inspired by God and proven and therefore can be trusted, listen, to build our lives upon. Here's another one. Look on your outline. Scripture provides instruction for sanctification. We see the teaching or the doctrine test or text. Okay? So look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That means it's trusted. It's complete. It's serviceable. It can be experienced. And then it says this. For doctrine. For doctrine. Listen, I believe any true Bible-believing church better understand, underscore, and put it out there in this climate of the day we live had better understand its beliefs. Better understand it. Whether we sing it, whether we put it in print on a website. By the way, if you want to see this doctrine of this church, you can go to the website. You can pull it up. You can see it. It's historically And biblically accurate. And and so, but how about us on a personal level? Listen to this. Even after conversion, trusting in our own wisdom is a severe hindrance to correctly understanding Scripture. In Proverbs 3, 5, many of you know this. It says, trust in the Lord how? With all your heart. With everything you got. Now, why would it say it that way? Because it is a statement in such a way that it knows that everything in this world is going to come after that same, it's going to come after it. It's going to try to disprove it. And so it's that whole idea, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Don't, don't, you know what that's saying? You can't trust. Now, some of you are going to think, man, that's, that's a big statement. It is a big statement. It means you can't trust anything other than God's word. You can't lean on your own understanding. The problem with this world in which we live is that whole idea of relative truth. Where everyone is trying to determine truth based on, listen, what they want. They're leaning on their own understanding. And therefore, everywhere you think you... (laughs) That means truth is different everywhere you look. Did you know that's logically... That's logically incomplete. That logically does not make sense. Logically means there's a system of thought in which truth can be determined and something that is false can be determined. And so you got all these people making all these things up. He says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding. Listen, doctrine provides us with God's perspective concerning himself and who we truly are. Now think of this. We need doctrine to know what to believe. Doctrine is God's standard of truth that provides understanding, perspective, and guidance. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Here's another one. 
Scripture provides instruction for sanctification. We see the reproving or convicting text. The convicting text. How many of you have ever read God's Word and it hurt? You ever done that? You read it and it just hurt. You ever heard someone uh, take God's Word, teach it or preach it in such a way that it hurt? Did you know at times it should hurt? I want you to think about physical pain. Physical pain tells me that when I was little and I reached up and I touched the stove when it was on, what, what, what did I do immediately if I'm smart and I had nerve endings? I'd pull it away because I was painful. I don't need to go there again. God's Word does the same thing on a whole different level. Man, how many of you have ever thought, okay, I'm going to lean on my own understanding. I know what God's Word says over here, but I really want to do this. Everything in me cries out for this. I'm going to do this. And you went over there, and it's like touching the stove. And all of a sudden, you read God's Word, and it says, told you. And listen, it's the reproving text. Listen, it's convicting. All scriptures given by God, by inspiration of God, is profitable. That means it's redeeming. It's something there that's going to help you for doctrine and for reproof. Now, reproof carries the idea of rebuking in order to correct a wrong behavior, a false doctrine, or a wrong direction. Regular and careful study of Scripture, listen, builds a foundation of truth that exposes sin in a believer's life with the purpose of bringing correction, a correction more so in their belief. Now, Scripture is the plumb line by which every leading thought, attitude, action, motive, and belief is to be measured, okay? So, so if I don't know about a certain belief I have, th- this is the way I live my life because I'm building my life upon God's Word. I might not get it right all the time, but that's my goal, okay? I'm building my life upon His Word. So when, when I need to have a proper perspective about how I need to believe about something, guess where I'm going to turn? Turn to God's Word. When I need to try to figure out something, what is God's standard on this? What would God say about that? When someone comes and says, give me some advice, guess what? I want to be pulling from his word because it's tested, it's proven, and it can be trusted. And so that's where I'm coming at it from. Now, why do we need truth? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. You might have to turn a page and look at verse 3. Y'all, I believe we're living in these days. It can't be any clearer. And surely every generation had its form. But we're definitely living in what this is talking about. Listen to this. For the time will come when they, those on the outside, outside of the faith, when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now what is sound doctrine? It's written in the context that what God breathes, what he has spoken, what he is giving us, his words, in his own words, It's outside of that. Okay, so sound doctrine is that doctrine that's inside of that. They're believing something other than that. So they're not going to endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires. How many of you are seeing this play out right right there in our society? But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. How many of you have ever had your ear itch? Now, a dog, what do they do? I got that thing going, you know? That, you ever seen that? But what do we do? Immediately, we just think it's got to stop. I mean, we're, 
I mean, we're wearing that ear out. I mean, it's, it's like when your ears itch, you got to do something about it. It don't matter if you're up here speaking in front of a couple hundred people or whatever. Ear itch, I got to get to that. Okay, all right. Now, my ear was not itching, by the way. But anyway, it means, here's what it means. If you look at this in its context, they have a desire for something, okay? And it's outside of the bounds of God. It could be sexual immorality. It could be whatever it is. They, their desire is to have that. Now, they have an itching ear because they want someone to come along and help them. Now, now they're itching. and Before that itch, it was probably good. It's God's word saying, don't go there, don't go there. But guess what? They want someone to come around and ignore that and move towards that. Okay? How do we know that? Well, look at what it says this. Next. These people, because they want something so bad outside of God's law, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Teachers that will agree with them. Teachers that will give them the mandate. Teachers that will say, oh, there's nothing really wrong with that. You want wealth? Well, there's some teachers out there on TV calling themselves Christians that can tell you all about that pursuit of wealth and Go for it. Prosperity teachers. Do you know you can find someone that will agree with you if you want to bad enough? If you just look long enough? I've, had, I've literally had this happen before. Where someone will call me and say, I, I'm not a member of your church. I just need 10 minutes of your time. Can I come by and talk to you? And they'll come in and they'll sit down with me. And they'll say this. Will you tell me what you think God's word says about this? And I'll tell them. The best I know about God's word, what their situation is, I will tell them what I know about God's word. And they'll look at me, and it's like, really? I said, why did you ask that? He said, and this has happened. I've been to eight to nine to ten other pastors in this community to try to find out about this situation. Because I really, I'm looking for godly advice. This is no lie. You're the first one to tell me. And I'm not trying to bash other leaders. Please, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to give you an example. And you're the one that told me the truth. Now, I could be off on other things, but that particular day, I was. Because it was, he, he wanted what I said to not be what it needed to be. You, you see what I'm saying? Then I've had those people who come, they want to know the truth, and they leave and they're like, well, you're just like the rest of them in that context. Y'all believe God just keeps you from everything fun or whatever. and just walks out. I've, I've had all that. I, I've seen it all. They want someone to agree with them because their flesh is reaching out. Their desires are reaching out. They just want someone. And it says this in verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to what? Fables, myths, those things that are not true. Here you go. We need doctrine to know what to believe. We need reproof to discern what not to believe. We need both. Next, Scripture provides instruction for sanctification, for the connect, correcting text. 2 Timothy verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction. Correction is a restoration of something to its original and proper condition. In the Greek, in Greek thought, correction was used as, a, as setting upright an object that had fallen or helping a person back to its feet after, it stumbled, after they stumbled. 
Another way of looking at it is a broken bone that needs to be set. That's the whole idea of correction from the Greek perspective. So reproof or rebuke, listen, is bringing an awareness of wrong. Correction is actually restoring, make one, making one upright once again. Sometimes, listen, we get off the path God has for us through temptation and sin. God provides an exit ramp. Second Timothy, uh, Second Corinthians tells us that. An exit ramp that many times comes in the form of a leading to bring correction to our lives. So we need correction to learn what not to do. Next, Scripture provides instruction for sanctification, the instructing or training text, okay? 2 Timothy, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and here's something key, in righteousness. Now, instruction, training, or discipline uh, can really mean, it, it all kind of means the same thing. And it's a whole idea of what a parent would do with a child, to, to, to bring instruction, to bring training, to bring discipline. The process of th- sanctification, think of this, y'all. God's working us through a process to become more like Jesus. The process of sanctification comes through teaching, reproof, and correction, and instruction in righteousness. What is righteousness? That seems to be the key. It's the only thing God accepts is righteousness. Jesus was perfect righteousness, so he accepted the sacrifice on our behalf because he was perfect in righteousness. We are not even close to being there, okay? But that's the goal. That's what God has for us. And it's not that he's trying to keep us away from things. He says, hey, righteousness, the path of righteousness is going to be the most fulfilling path you can be on. It's going to be the most enjoyable path you can be on. It's going to be all those things, but you're choosing something else. Listen, righteousness is the way to go. Not because I'm one of those that wants to keep you from having fun, or I'm one of those that's like, okay, you got to walk up right now. you got to do this, you got to do that. No, I'm telling you this because this is the best way. This is fulfillment. Instruction also carries the idea of mentoring. Children need to be surrounded by godly people who provide instruction. Young Christians need to be around other Christians further down the line than they are in their faith to bring instruction and training to them. So here it is. If you were to look at this list of four, the first two deal with beliefs. We need doctrine to know what to believe. We need reproof to discern what not to believe. The other two deal with behaviors. We need correction to learn what not to do. We need instruction to understand what should be done. Does that make sense? So there's where we are. Now, I want to close, and then we'll come back to the next part next week. Scripture provides instruction for sanctification. We see the enabling or the equipping text. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. Why is all this in play? Why is it so important to do this? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, where did all this begin? It began with God breathed it. Okay? He gave us instruction. Why did he give us instruction? Well, we could list those four things, or we could jump to 17 and say this. He gave us, he gave us this. He breathed it. It's his words, in his own words, that the man of God, the person of God, may be complete. That's the goal. Mature, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Everything that he needs to do, 
I want to provide for him. And if he'll do it, if he'll realize I'm the one telling him that, he goes through this process, he'll get there. To understand God and his ways, we must learn to trust God's word. Listen, it is inspired. It is profitable. One of my heroes, as far as ministry goes, is a man by the name of Adrian Rogers. Some of you may know him. He's a pastor at Pass some years ago. Here's what he said. Great statement. The starting place in Christian growth is to have a firm conviction about the inspiration and authority of God's Word. Listen, the only way God's Word works in your life is you got to come from it from the point of view that you believe it is actually God's Word in His own words. But secondly, you got to see it as an authority in your life. Did you know there's a lot of people out there that want to believe that this is God's Word in His own words? but those who have no inkling of an idea that they want to see it as an authority in their life. Do you know what that really is when it says God's word is authority? It it literally means lordship. People want a savior, but they don't want a lord. And that's the problem. That's the problem with many professing Christians. They still want to go with their desires. They still want to go outside. We can build our life on God's word. And so I want to close with this, and we'll come back to this next week. Where are you this morning? Are you trusting it? Are you, are you, are you right now, I'm, I don't know where you are right now, but this week, maybe you had one of those things where you wanted something so bad that you know was outside of God's expectation for you. And, and you're just drawn to it. You're just, you got to get back to understanding what His Word is. It is His Word. It is an authority that should be in your life. you got to get back to that or, or God's word doesn't work for you. It won't work for you until you see those two things. It is his word and it should have authority in your life. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. and Lord, we know that sometimes this is a very difficult thing to do to, to, to acknowledge that we need a lot of help. And Father, I just thank you that your word is so rich. It is so fulfilling. Father, I know that those times that I've gotten outside of your word and did not meet those expectations or thought I had a better way or tried to run with my flesh, Lord, it was like touching that hot stove. At some point, we all realize it was wrong and it was painful and there's circumstances. Father, I pray if there's someone here today, maybe they've always attempted to build their life upon your word. They've always seen that this is your word. They've always tried to live that life where that word has authority in their life. But Father, right now, maybe they're kind of edging out. Maybe they're moving out of that. Maybe it's a college student that's dealing with liberal professors or at a liberal university or whatever it may be that's causing doubt, them to doubt your word. To get to the point where they're willing to, 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 to allow that doubt to work in such a way that they're moving toward those things that may be harmful to them. That your word clearly outlines and says is wrong. Father, I pray for them that they will remember what they've learned from childhood. What their parents equipped them with. Lord, you'll just work in their life. Or, or maybe we're talking about someone at middle age in this room. Maybe they're in a midlife type crisis in their life and they've always tried to build their life upon your word, but right now they're just having doubts. It's almost like their flesh is, is just crying out. Lord, I just pray that you allow that word to sanctify them, Lord, that they would come under the authority of your word. 
Father, we just thank you for what you're going to do. If there's someone here today who doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray today would be the day to give their heart to you. Have your way in this invitation in Jesus' name. Would your heads bow in your